Good morning again, church. We thank you for meeting with us again this morning as we look into God's Word. This morning you can turn to John chapter 14, and then we're going to go to John chapter 16. We're going to be jumping around a lot this morning. Uh, and I want to look at this idea that as Christ uh, uh, was leaving this earth, as he was you know, moving towards the cross, he was talking to his disciples about how he was going to provide uh, for them uh, another helper. You can imagine the anxiety that the disciples would have been feeling or the fear when they had been walking with Christ for these few years and getting to know him in such depth. And then all of a sudden he starts talking to them about how he's going to be leaving them. And last week we talked about all the things that Christ has secured for us uh, through his resurrection. We talked about the living hope, the inheritance, uh, all of the blessings of God have been given to us and secured for us through the resurrection of Christ, uh, in that we're able to approach God with boldness and confidence today because of the resurrection of Christ. Uh, and as he completed that work for us, then he has gone to be with the Father in heaven. Uh, but again, he said that he would send another helper to be with us. And that's what I want to look at today is, uh, you know, we have God the Father, we have God the Son, who was... Uh, uh, paid our price, paid the price for our sin uh, in his atonement for us on the cross. Then he rose from the dead and went to be with the Father. And then we have, we see the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit. So God is a Trinitarian God. There are three persons in one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But again, as Christ was leaving, he said that he would send uh, God the Spirit to be with us. And I want to look at just some of these things that we see or or we should see in the lives of believers as a result of the abiding presence of the helper that Christ promised that he would send as uh, he left the earth. But we're going to start in John chapter 14, starting in verse uh, 16. It says, uh, And I will ask the Father, this is Christ talking to his disciples, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives uh, with you and will be in you. Uh, some versions say, uh, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And then John chapter 16, uh, verse 7, Jesus said again to his disciples, um, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So uh, we see this word used for uh, the one that Christ would send to be with us. We see helper, we see counselor, we see advocate. Uh, but I think it's so significant first that we see, uh, again, going back to John 14 uh, in... Uh, Verse 16, it says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate or counselor to help you and be with you forever. He says, first, I will give you another advocate. So the first thing that we recognize from this, we can't dismiss the idea that this implies that we already had an advocate. He's saying that he will give you another advocate. So we already had an advocate before God the Father in heaven. Christ was our first advocate. He was the one he came to the earth to advocate for mankind. He went to cross to bear the sin of mankind, to advocate for mankind. But then he went to uh, heaven to be in the place where God is to advocate before God the Father on behalf of man. Now, this is significant if you go back to the Old Testament tent of meeting or the temple and you consider 
uh, the priestly system, and I wish we could get into all of it today, but we won't have time, but uh, the priests, they would go in and, and people would bring their sacrifice and they would perform the sacrifice, but then only the priests would be able to go into the place where, that was called the holy place, that first room in the temple where there was the, the lampstand and the table and then the altar of incense. Only the priests could go in there, but then there was beyond the curtain, the next room was called the most holy place. That was where God dwelt. His literal presence dwelt in that place, the most holy place. It was separated by a curtain one time per year. Uh, the high priest could go in there to make atonement for the people into the most holy place where God dwelt. And again, as we see Christ hung on the cross, it says that when he died, the curtain of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. That signified now that Christ was able to enter that most holy place uh, he, he then purifies our hearts to be able to approach that place. But Christ has gone then into that place uh, where God is. He is advocating for us. He is interceding for us in that place. Uh, and and uh, we, again, as the Bible says, then we have boldness and confidence to approach the throne of God through Christ as he is with the Father. He is our advocate. He is our helper in that place, allowing us to approach God. Uh, we see that in First uh, um, John chapter 2, in verse 1, it says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the righteous one. In Hebrews chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 24, it says, Because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, is he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Uh, such a high priest truly meets our needs, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart uh, from sinners, exalted above the heavens. So Christ lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to the Father through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Meaning he is our living hope. He is living uh, in that place. He is in God's presence advocating for us to be able to approach God. And he is always living in that place. He is always making intercession for us. Uh, so the Spirit of God, when Christ said that he would send us another helper, he wasn't sending us someone to relieve him of some sort of duty that he had accomplished his purpose, and that's it, and he's relieved of that, and then he just goes uh, to be in heaven. As he is in heaven, he has gone to advocate for us before the Father. So still today, though the Spirit is the one who is dwelling in us, uh, Christ is with the Father, interceding, advocating for us in the place. So he was our first advocate. Uh, but then it says uh, again in John chapter 14, verse 16, I will ask the Father... Uh, and he will give you another advocate then to help you and be with you forever. The Pope of Commentary said this about uh, this uh, scripture. The Holy Spirit, as the advocate, pleads the cause of the believer against the world and pleads Christ's cause with the believer. Uh, John, we see in uh, 14, uh, verse 26, then, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you everything that I have said, the Spirit, again, the pulpit commentary says that the Spirit pleads Christ's cause with the believer, that he would dwell within our hearts, teaching us uh, the things of Christ, reminding us of the things of Christ. Again, it says he will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said to you. So the Spirit dwells within us. Uh, and he was saying to the disciples in that moment that, that I'm going to be leaving you, but the Spirit is going to come. He is going to dwell with you. He's going to advocate for you. 
He's going to help you and he's going to testify, remind you of all the things that I have said to you. Uh, John fifteen twenty six says, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So the Spirit that comes from God uh, to be with us, to dwell with us, uh, comes to testify and remind us of the things that Christ has spoken to us, the words of life that Christ has spoken to us, to remind us, to teach us, to focus our attention on Christ, even in the midst of Whatever we're dealing with, whether it's suffering, whether it's uh, difficult times or things are, are good and peaceful, he's there still to point us towards the Christ and to remind us of the living hope and inheritance and everything that God has made available to us. He is there to, to point us towards that and remind us of that. Uh, John chapter 16, starting in verse 13, it says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So the Spirit speaks what Christ is telling the Spirit to speak. As he comes to advocate with us and dwell in our presence, he only speaks what Christ tells him to speak. And it says again here, but when he is Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So, what he is saying there is God has not just left us with some book of random thoughts to try to decipher what this means in context of eternity and in context of relationship with God, but God has spoken his mind through his word. He has spoken the revelation of himself. He has spoken the revelation of who he is and how he desires to relate to mankind. But then he has given us a spirit to guide us into this truth, to help us understand and discern the truth of God. You see, the Word of God is illuminated by the Spirit of God. They work together. We cannot just read a book and expect to do uh, gain any understanding of anything of eternal value. It's not just the Bible by itself, but it's reading the Bible and allowing then the Spirit of God to interpret and illuminate the Word of God and make it living within us. It takes both. We have to be walking in the Spirit to understand the things that God has revealed in his word. So the Spirit does all those things. Then he says uh, also that the Spirit would reside with us forever. So again, that we have this living hope in Christ, but part of that living hope is the reality of the presence of God living in us and uh, through the Spirit forever, that there would never be a moment there would never be a moment outside of us choosing to remove ourselves from God and his presence. That is a choice we can make. Outside of that, our own decision, there is never a moment where the Spirit is passive in our life, where he is uh, not active uh, in our lives. There, In that, we have a living hope that it is living and breathing and moving and constant. It never fails. You see, that is part of the living hope that Christ has secured for us through his resurrection. So I just want to look at a few more things today that the Spirit of God does for us. The first thing is that the Spirit purifies of, purifies us. Galatians 5, uh, chapter 16 says, um, it says this, so I, walk, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So we should walk in the Spirit's guidance, in His power, in His wisdom, in His testimony of truth, and in His provision that 
On a daily basis, I would make it my goal, my desire, my intention to pursue him. You see, uh, an actual relation, relationship in any way, uh, having a depth of relationship, a healthy relationship, whether it's with a friend, uh, your spouse, uh, you know, your parents, whoever it is, it takes some sort of effort and intention to have healthy relationships in life. Uh, it's the same way with the Spirit of God. See, it takes me being intentional in my pursuit of the Spirit of God dwelling within me. Uh, so, and, and again, on a daily basis, then, I would make it my intention to walk in His guidance rather than trying to seek my own way, to walk in His power rather than trying to accomplish things out of my own power, to walk in His wisdom, knowing that the wisdom of mankind is foolishness, walk in His testimony of truth and in His provision uh, that he would nourish my heart through the word of God and his presence dwelling within me. Uh, the Bible says that we can be filled to, filled with uh, to the measure of all the fullness of God. Uh, so you understand that there is a point that we come to when we are walking in the spirit, where the spirit is feeding us, where he is testifying of the truth of Christ and who Christ is, where he is leading us in the, those ways when we are walking in his power. Uh, that I begin to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, and I am filled to the point where I don't need anything else, that I don't, I begin to lose desires for the things of the world because, number one, I understand then that there is no way that those things can fill me the way that the Spirit of God can fill me through His abiding presence. And I am then beginning to be filled with God to the point where I don't desire any of those things anymore. I don't desire the things that... uh at face value, uh, seem like they provide happiness or joy or peace. Uh, but when you step into those things, you realize that they only produce death uh, within us. You see, when we are filled with the Spirit of God, we begin to lose our appetite for other things of the world and only desire more and more of the fullness that God brings to our lives. So the Spirit of God purifies us. Uh, and as we walk in the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh any longer because I desire to walk in the fullness of God. The Spirit purifies us. He also produces fruit within our lives. Galatians 5, starting in 22, says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of these things are the attributes or the character that the Spirit of God wants to work in our hearts as He dwells within us, as we abide in Him, and He is advocating, He is helping us, He is counseling us. He begins to transform our hearts and weed out the things of our own natural self, the, the desires, the intentions that are contrary to the things of God. We begin to be clothed with the character of Christ and then my life begins to reflect the sacrificial love of Christ, his joy, his peace, his forbearance, his patience with other people, uh, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, and self-control. You see, we can never come to that place simply by trying to reform some behaviors in life. We will never come to the place where we reflect all of those things. It comes from us abiding in the presence of the Spirit of God, allowing him to work within us. Uh, so the Spirit of God brings spiritual fruit to our lives. As we walk in Him, we begin to see 
uh, his transformational power at work within us, begin, allowing us then to begin to reflect the character of Christ to the world around us. Uh, we also see then that the Spirit of God gifts us then for works of service. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 7, it says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kind of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All of these work uh, are the work of one in the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he's determined. So what he's saying here uh, is that there are different things, different gifts, different abilities that are given to different people. And every there's not one person that has all of these gifts. But it's one person uh, is able to work in one way to accomplish the purposes of God, and that is given by the same Spirit. The work that is accomplished through that person, through their gifts and abilities, that work that is accomplished in them and through them is done by the same Spirit that accomplishes the work and somebody who is gifted in a different way. What this is saying is that there is no way that the church can possibly function in a healthy way outside of us walking in the Spirit. You see, because the Spirit gives many different kind of gifts, and He's not going to give me all of the gifts that are necessary for the church to help function in a healthy way. He's not going to give you all of the gifts that are necessary for the church to function in a healthy way. He gives each member these gifts, and then the Spirit works in in and through those gifts uh, in each individual member, uh, and he unites us together to accomplish the works of Christ. Uh, so we see then uh, in Romans chapter 12, starting verse 4, it says, For just as each one of us uh, has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same, the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So again, uh, the body of Christ has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. You see, one of the traps that we fall into, I think especially in the American church, is that we come to the place where we have a few people that are doing everything. And there are many people that just show up to meetings uh, as consumers. You know, I've thought about this idea many times and, and had conversations with people so many times about this idea that there, there are two different groups of people in local churches. There are people who are consumers, people who uh, everything is about what they receive and if what they receive isn't up to their standard any longer, they just move on to the next place. Uh, but then there is a group of people who they are investors. 
Meaning that there is a group of people that have been humbled by Christ to the point where they count nothing as their own any longer. That they don't consider their time, their talents, their gifts, their abilities, their money, uh, their homes, nothing that they have is considered theirs alone anymore. But they have offered everything that they have uh, at the disposal of God for him to do whatever he would with it. When they come to a local church meeting that it is about them investing in other people, investing their time and their talents and their gifts and in their abilities in the congregation. It is about investing those things in God and allowing God to gain some sort of return on that in whatever way he would. You see, we have to come to the place where we recognize that uh, a life of a consumer, uh, that you can never experience the fullness that Christ has made available to his church as a consumer alone. There has to be a time where we come to the place where we recognize that everything that we do in the local church is about first me offering myself to God. That I would offer myself to him first. And then I would offer myself to my the brothers and sisters in Christ that are a part of my local church, that I would offer everything that I have to them, that I would give to them willingly, that I would, uh, you know, we, we talk about even the sacrificial love of Christ and uh, 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 13 when it talks about love. Towards the end of that, uh, those few verses, it says that all, love always hopes. Love always trusts. That means that when I am an, an investor in others through the Spirit's work in my heart, the Spirit pours out Christ's sacrificial love in my heart, then I desire to pour that out into other people's hearts. But you see, that begins to change my motives and my desires and my thoughts and my intentions. And when I look at other people, then I don't just immediately assume the worst. I don't immediately think the worst. I don't look at their character faults uh, and elevate those things. I don't desire to see them uh, uh, brought down. I desire to see them lifted up in Christ. And I invest myself in that cause. Again, I invest myself in my relationship with God, and then I invest myself in the body of believers around me, desiring to see God work in them, to work through them, to be glorified in them, to see God's blessings poured out on them. I desire to see them walk in a deeper relationship with God, and I will align myself with that purpose, whatever the cost. And then, after that, I invest in those around me, the lost and dying, those who don't know Christ. You see, that one comes third because there is no way I can accomplish that effectively if I am not first investing myself in God. If I am not investing myself in the body of believers, there's no way that I can possibly love those who are lost the way that I should out of the sacrificial love of Christ. Uh, but the Spirit gifts us for works of service. To be an investor means that I understand that I have been given something, something, uh, some sort of ability, some sort of gift, some sort of talent, some sort of uh, gifting of the Spirit, and I am not to just hold on to that for myself, but I am supposed to sacrificially spend myself in that through the Spirit for the good of, for the good of God, His glory, 
for the good of my brothers and sisters and for the good of the lost. You see, again, we've talked about this many times. First Peter 4.10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. That is one of the most humbling passages of Scripture, I think, that I have ever read. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms to consider the significance that the God of heaven would pour out his graces into me. For what reason, I have no idea. But then he would make me a steward of that grace that everybody that I come into contact with, every situation that I uh, find myself in, I would be in that situation a steward of that grace that God has poured into me. And he has given me some sort of grace that he might not have given you. He has made me steward a steward of something that he might not have given to you in the same exact way. And he's given you some sort of thing to steward that he might not have given me in the same exact way. But as we each one then look off to Christ, uh, then we are able to accomplish the work of Christ as we allow the Spirit to work in us, as we sacrificially offer everything that we have for the good of God, his glory, for our brothers and sisters, and then for the lost. The Bible calls us again in 1 Corinthians twelve seven. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Everything that you and I have been given, all of the gifts, talents, abilities, our finances, everything that we have has been given to us for the common good of all of those around us. The Spirit has been sent by Christ to dwell within each one of us forever. Christ has not left us to just wander through this life towards heaven, but he has given us a helper, a counselor, an advocate who desires to help us uh, as we walk towards heaven, as we desire to know God, as we desire to know Christ, as we desire to reflect who he is, and as we desire to use what he has given us for the common good, the Spirit is our counselor to help us in that cause. The question today is um, just simply, do we desire to know this advocate that Christ has given us, the advocate, the counselor, the helper that Christ has given to us to abide with us forever? Do we desire to know him and walk in him on a daily basis? I would encourage you this week to spend some time uh, evaluating your life, trying to determine, number one, do we know who the Spirit of God is? Do I Am I walking in the Spirit? Do I desire to walk in the Spirit? But then two, am I a consumer or am I an investor? Do I just simply desire to take in and take in constantly? Do I have things that the Spirit of God has placed in my heart gifts, talents, and abilities that I just hold on to for myself, or do I desire to sacrificially love and offer everything that I have for the glory of God, for the good of our brothers, and for the good of the lost, allowing Christ to invest through me so that he would gain a return at some point through me. That is the only way that we will ever have any sort of eternal impact for him if we walk in the Spirit allowing him to advocate for us, allowing him to counsel us, and allowing him to help us and comfort us. God, we thank you today again for the opportunity to walk in your spirit, that you have not left us to ourselves, 
as Christ resurrected, but he said as he would go to your place to advocate for us in your presence, that he would send us another helper. Father, help us to walk in a relationship, a deep relationship with our advocate, the Holy Spirit. Father, allow him to teach us, help us to get out of the way of him, that we wouldn't uh, just hold on to our natural desires or intentions or purposes, but I would give everything up and allow the Spirit to give me new desires and intentions and to fill me with your love that I might sacrifice myself for you and for your purposes, knowing then that that is where I find uh, abundant life is in your presence, walking in your sacrificial love through the Spirit. Father, we love you today. It is in your name we pray. Amen.